0: I'm sharing a discussion I had with Keris Keneally. Now, I came across Keris because a client of mine shared her five-day challenge and people in the mastermind wanted to attend, but they couldn't make it. So I went on their behalf. And as a result, I realised how powerful what she talks about is. So I wanted to invite her to this podcast. Now, whether or not you are planning to sell to schools, quite honestly, a lot of what we talk about is relevant to so many different scenarios but if you do want to sell to schools or nurseries, then you're going to need your pen and paper for this one. You're going to need to take notes. So without much further ado, I'm going to let you have a listen. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in.
1: Hi, Samantha. So my name is Keris Keneally and I help uh, service providers to get into schools and nurseries without cold calling so they can grow their business with confidence and have a bigger impact on children's lives.
0: Lovely. And I I met you, Karis, because you ran that amazing um, five day challenge recently. If anyone if anyone's a bit dubious about running a challenge, Karis is the master at running these challenges. (laughs) I loved how you kept everyone motivated. It was so actionable. Um, I would really recommend you. Are you running it again in January? January would be the next one. Yeah. That's right. And it's all about helping people sell to schools, nurseries, and just get their foot in the door, that initial part that they struggle with. Now, if someone is, if they want to sell to schools, but they're really not sure whether what they offer will be wanted, or if they're wondering why their offer just isn't landing, what kind of things can they do to audit what they're offering? Or, you know, how can they change their approach to identify how they can get better results?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's something that people don't necessarily do enough of. A lot of the time there's a tendency to think, oh, well, schools obviously didn't like my offer or they're too busy to deal with me or they haven't got the budget. So I won't try contacting them again just yet. Um, And what they don't always do is look to actually audit the process, look at what perhaps didn't work as well, what did work really well and they can do more of. So if you're somebody who just hasn't had the response that you wanted and you're wondering what are the components of my campaign that I can look back at I usually get people to look at four key areas of their funnel so I get them to look at the email content first of all um, and as a process so just like you mentioned with the five-day challenge there's a there's sort of five key ingredients that I um, really advocate you have in any kind of content that creates a high converting campaign for a school and there's things like you know have you addressed a problem um, that's going to actually grab a key decision maker's attention and help them to understand how you can help them? Um, have you Is your offer compelling enough? Does it relate to that problem that you're saying you can solve? Does it have benefit to a school? What is the value of that offer? Um, have you included some form of Social proof, so are you backing up the results you say you can get? Is someone else talking about the results you say you can get? Um, have you given them a clear way to respond and do they understand when and how they should be responding for this offer and have you followed up? Now those are the things that I would get them to look at in terms of their their content um very often there's one of at least of those five things that they're perhaps falling down on and could be doing more of in their next campaign then i get them to look at the mechanics of how they've actually sent that email out or sent that letter out and how has it been delivered so you know there there's certain things that People will fall down on the in in the first instance where they don't realise that they're doing things that might land them in the spam filter, for example, um, and they don't really understand exactly how to get to the key decision maker that that is their intended recipient. and then they wonder why. They may have only just sort of landed at, at the receptionist and perhaps not not got through to where they want to go to. So I get them to look at how that email has been sent out, because very often there's a few key things in there there to tweak that. Um, I also get them to look at their kind of their initial visit. So if they have got as far as providing some kind of demonstration or a sample or had a meeting or delivered a taster, whatever that might be and the school simply isn't buying into their service after that offer I get them to look at kind of what they've done there with regards to how they've delivered it how they presented that who was present um, who do they now need to speak to who do they now need to follow up with and then the fourth area is really just their mindset so this can be a huge thing for service providers in business is if they don't truly believe in their offer they are going to be perhaps um, less inclined to follow up as many times of a school or nursery. They are perhaps going to give up at the first hurdle and not get their next campaign out there. If you can look at the, look at those four key areas and unpick what you did well and what you perhaps could do better next time, that's going to set you up for a great next campaign.
0: You, you said one thing about when you get them to audit their content, you ask yeah. them, have you addressed a problem? When yeah. you're talking about the problem that you're addressing... Should that be related to academic outcomes? Um, You know, so for example, if you are doing something like wellbeing workshops, um, should you try and line that up with the academic outcomes that you know the school that will matter to the school? Or should you talk about the benefits of what you are offering directly?
1: Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Something I um, get my members to focus on is how what they do aligns with the curriculum in some way. So whether they are positioning this as an offer predominantly for Key Stage 1 or Key Stage 2, or whether this is for um, older students in Key Stage 3 or Key Stage 4, it's really looking at what subject area does my provision fall under, what are the key requirements that schools might be looking looking for at this time how does this sit perhaps within a a certain budget if there's certain requirements for that particular budget for example and how can I weave in the words and phrases and terminology that these different kind of um, government documents or the national curriculum programs of study whatever it might be how can I be using those words and phrases to my advantage so the head teachers immediately see, okay this is a viable product or service that's going to sit within and enhance our curriculum in a certain way
0: yeah and I mean just to put this in a context care is something that you encourage people to do to actually make connections with schools is to actually email them or send them a letter in that first instance with your offer and when you're talking about your offer you're talking about how you're going to demonstrate the impact that you're going to make it's not actually about the thing you're selling as such so I just wanted to put that in, in a context so that people know what we're specifically talking about but um you know you were saying about they should know like they should make it really clear how schools need to respond one thing I would probably add to that and you know tell me if you agree is it should be a really clean and easy way because people at that stage they're not going to work hard if you say complete this form and then you'll receive an email and then we'll you know you want it to be one method one really clean method what's your advice with regarding with regards to that because you know, naturally, I think a lot of people might um, give a Calendly link, for example. But I remember yeah. from your challenge, you saying that links can sometimes land in the spam folder. So what would you yeah. say is that call to action that you should give schools?
1: Yeah, really good question. Because the like you say, if we have too many links in our email, it can land us in spam. And also, a lot of schools don't like to click links if they don't know who the sender is yet. So if you haven't yet warmed them up, and we're contacting them completely out of the blue, they might be really looking to protect their Uh, systems um against anything unwanted and not necessarily wanting to click your link straight from the get-go and like you say processes like that can become a little bit convoluted if they they are we are dealing with quite time poor people here that are really busy what we really Really, really want when we are contacting a school for the first time, if we are using email or letter to do this, we're really looking to elicit a response in the beginning. We really want a two way conversation with this person. We really want this person to have the opportunity to ask questions if they've got questions, because that helps us improve future campaigns as well. Um, but really, we want to now nurture this person because we're not just emailing a school um, setting, we're actually emailing a person within that school, and we want want our intended recipients to kind of really understand how we can help them, because that's the only way we're going to be able to sell them something really viable at the end of this process, because the more we can solve their problems, the more we can understand their needs, not only will they feel more understood and therefore more likely to buy from us, but also potentially they're going to buy more from us and for longer as well, because they really understand the, the, the benefit to them. And I think we can get caught up in this cycle of what we do and the service we provide when a head teacher might not realise that they need well being workshop or a dance workshop or a modern foreign language tutor, but they do realize that there is a, a problem within their school and children are struggling at the moment with self esteem and mental health. Yes, that might point towards you going in and delivering a well being workshop, but it also might be much more than that that you can't imagine until you've started having these conversations. So, although the tendency is to put a quick Calendly link in because you think it's more efficient for you, if you actually want to start getting these responses and having these conversations you know something as simple as simply reply to this email to let me know um, if you would like to claim this offer is actually going to be far more effective for you in the beginning than putting barriers in the way where they might not click links and you might just assume they weren't interested but actually if you'd have given them this clear pathway to ask you a question you you'd get much more of a sense of, of what they need at that time.
0: Yeah. So should you be welcoming questions or should you be welcoming, if you want to take this offer, then please respond by by this time? In that first email before you're followed up, what do yeah. you think people should prioritise?
1: Yeah, if, if you're making the main focus of your um, email or letter an offer, you want to tell them exactly how to claim that offer. Okay. Um, you know, and of course, this, this, this then elicits a response so that if they have got questions, they can ask them. But if we are, if we give them too many calls to actions, again, they're less likely to respond yeah. to us. So just being really clear and definite, if you want this offer, there's a certain number available. Um, this is when they're available until and this is how you can claim it is just a really clear way of eliciting that
0: response. I think that's a really good takeaway of, of, you know, only using one call to action. And really that applies yeah. to marketing in general. Yes. If you give too, too many options, people tend to take none of them. So you want to keep yeah. it clean. You want to give them one thing that you're asking them yes. to do. And something that was interesting about something you said was you're selling to a, you're, you're contacting a person, you're not contacting yes. a school. And so when you are constructing that contact, that email, should your language reflect that or sh- or should you be talking about the school as a whole or should you be talking about, you know, are you finding this is happening with your students or in your department or whatever it might be? H- how should that influence the language?
1: Yeah, it depends a little bit on who you're targeting. I would always... um ask you to personalise any communication with a school and if you don't know who the person is that you should be targeting then always find somebody's name whether that's a, a head teacher for example depends what you're offering then because if you're offering a whole school solution to something where it becomes an education decision you're probably going to be looking to go to the head teacher in the first instance and this will then get filtered down or forwarded on to whoever else within the school perhaps needs to deal with it but if you know there's one specific department head within a secondary school for example and you have their contact details then you can speak a lot more in in their language in terms of what they need for their department and their subjects similarly in primary school you get subject coordinators and that subject lead is going to be very kind of interested in how you can help them enrich their subject that they're responsible for within the school so it does depend a little bit on who you're targeting whether you've got the name and contact details of that person And um, what you're actually offering them as well as to whether it it becomes a a whole school state of the nation kind of uh, problem solving exercise, or whether it's very narrow and specific to one particular department.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I suppose the same principle applies if you're selling CPD to say teachers as well, you know, because it still affects the outcomes for that school, it still affects, you know, how the students learn, for example. Um, and, you know, if say, for example, I'm thinking, OK, I've got this great idea. I think it will go down really well at, with schools, but I'm not 100 percent sure because I've never really worked in that market. What kind yeah. of research or what kind of things can I do or do you suggest I do to really check whether my idea will be appealing to a school?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really good one whereby if you if it's something that you know has been done before, but you don't know how well it will be received um, for you, you could always pilot this. So, you know, my kind of methodology is about um, providing some kind of free demo anyway. So, you know, you would get a pretty good idea from feedback from the school off the back of that demo, whether they feel it's a a viable opportunity for them or not. Um, But also, if it's something that's never been done before, then it's something where you might want to provide a pilot whereby you can do a bit of a case study with the first school you contact, if they would provide you with some feedback and perhaps a case study or a testimonial um, so that you can really understand and do a bit of research around it Um, so I think those are the sort of the, the two methods really is that you may find that straight after doing the demo you've got a school that's really interested in what you can offer and that almost becomes your pilot but if you you know if you really think no, I'd really like to bide some time here do some market research and actually figure out exactly what these head teachers really want from me so that I can go away and put a much more detailed campaign together for the next one then that's something you could look at doing for the first. first one or the
0: first few as well. That's really good advice and I mean I was having this conversation with my cousin the other day who's who wants to work with schools and her first response was oh I don't know because I'm worried they don't really have the budget and (laughs) you know there is a perception that schools have a really tight budget and I remember during your challenge one of the almost slogans the the mantras that you got people to repeat was if they see the value they'll find the budget and I think that's extremely valuable and but despite that, even though that makes a lot of sense, when it comes to crunch time, people yes. still sometimes feel nervous or unsure about how to actually price what they offer. Now, you know, yes. asking how much should I charge is like asking how long is a piece of string? Mm-hmm. I, I know that. And so it's really, <laughs> it's a really difficult one to answer. But what tips do you have to someone who is working with this market for the very first time and they're just not sure how to price what they're offering?
1: Yeah, do you know? I totally get it. I think thinking back then to a time you you just triggered a memory in me. Where, uh, starting out as a dance teacher, working with schools and offering clubs, and getting my first school come back to me saying, "Actually, we'd love a, a morning before school club. How much would you charge?" And me not knowing what to charge or who to ask said back to that head teacher oh, well, what, what would you like me to charge? And they said two pound per child. So, (laughs) so I learned very, very quickly, not to perhaps ask them what they want to pay, but actually to look at, okay, what is the value of what I'm offering? What would I what would be viable for me to earn within that hour, if if it is pay per child, or if it is the school paying for that session, Um, and looking at obviously any costs that I had involved, and then being able to put together a bit of a pricing strategy based on that because it is one of those things where I can't tell you what to Uh charge because everyone's business models are different. Some people will be hiring in a team of tutors and they'll have tutors to pay. Some people might have venues to pay if for example, the school is letting you provide a service after school, and they actually want to charge the parents, you're going to have a venue to factor in there if if the school is charging you any hall hire or anything like that. You've obviously got to factor in whether this is long distance and you've got travel expenses. And for some people, they have props and flashcards and things like that, that they may make specifically for a school, and there's going to be costs incurred for that equipment or those resources as well. So it is about looking at First of all, what are your costs for the session? The second of all, what would you love to charge? Your gut instincts, without that kind of thought in your head, but what if a school doesn't want to pay me that? actually, what would you love to charge? Because what I've learned from working now with thousands of, sort of providers that have been getting into schools through the five-day challenges and then the, the, the people that have come on through the Approaching Schools Academy where we've really dived really, really deep into their pricing strategy is there really isn't a going rate. Um, I ran a poll with providers recently, actually, up and down the country. Uh, maybe 100 of them took part in this poll. And I found very quickly that there is such a range so people for various different services in various different corners of the country which successfully charging anything from 30 pounds per hour to 100 pounds per hour and i found that the most popular vote in that poll was people were charging around the 50 pound per hour mark but what works for them might not work for you you might be in the 100 pound per hour bracket because of the way that you're business model works or because of the particular service that you are providing for so I always say to people pricing doesn't have to be set in stone if you're feeling nervous about your pricing it can change so when I agreed to work with that particular school for two pound a child the next school I worked with it wasn't two pound per child next time I was testing the market I was like okay can I get away with three pound per child for my next school Uh, you know the next school I might have been testing it again okay well the next three schools were were fine with three pound per child Maybe they'd also be OK with £3.50 per child, you know, until eventually towards the end um, of that kind of cycle, I was charging sort of six or seven pounds per child um, or, you know, starting off with a school at sort of £25 per hour and moving up until I was charging sort of £45 per hour. So it's one of those things where don't feel like you have this is the be all and end all, that once you have set your price, you have to stick with it. Actually, what you need to do is test the market with your prices. If the next three head teachers are not batting an eyelid at what you're charging, the likelihood is that you're probably maybe not charging enough. Maybe they were quite happy you know quite pleasantly surprised to hear that it was that particular price whether that is the thirty pound an hour or the hundred pound per hour mark, you know so I really would encourage anyone listening to really test the market go in with a price they're confident with to begin with because you've got to be confident saying it, otherwise the energy isn't going to be right in that that sales exchange because, you know, if you're like, oh, well... Uh- um, my price is ooh, 100 pound per hour you don't sound very sure of yourself the head teacher coming back to you is not going to be very sure of accepting that price either well, you sound so like
0: we sound like you've made it up on the spot don't you yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing so we do it's not about going in there at the highest price and you know and then working backwards it's perhaps going in at the price that You're not sure if you're underselling yourself, but you're confident with saying it for now. And then you take the feedback on board from that school and go with the next one. Maybe your price goes up and schools always expect prices to go up periodically from one financial year to another financial year. You know, I always had a school asking me, you know, what are your what are your 2020 prices, for example, you know, so it kind of gives you that that confidence that prices don't have to be set in stone. And just because this works for me now, if I realise there's going to be a better price for me down the line, I can change it.
0: Yeah, and having confidence that prices can change is actually a really important thing and you can tie it into your language. So for example, you know, when I launched the Tutor's Mastermind, I did it in phases and that was the language I used, that this is phase one and this is what's included and then phase two and then phase three. Um, With my tuition business, I I tier my prices. Um, But also people use lots of language like this is the early bird offer or whatever it might be. And that's another way to really test the response because in some ways it's supply and demand, but in other ways – you know, there's an argument to say, well, if you're charging more, you need fewer clients. But either way, I think what you said that's valuable is what do you feel comfortable saying out loud, uh, you know, with confidence and with authority? Because if you feel uncomfortable saying it, that might be a sign that your pricing isn't quite right. Or it might be a sign that, you know, or or it might be something that affects how someone else because it's that energy exchange when you're having a conversation with somebody. Um, And when it when it comes to schools, is I know this is people's perception. Is cheaper always better? Because I often say when it comes to money, not to think of it as something that's expensive or cheap. It's a communication tool. What perception do you want to create with how much you're charging? Um, and, and the reason I believe it's a communication tool is, you know, if it wasn't, you wouldn't have like designer brands and more budget brands sharing the same retail space, for instance, because each one sends a different message out to the consumer. Yes. So when it comes to schools in particular, you know, since you know the culture, is yeah. cheaper or is better? Is it better to go on that side, tilt on that side or or is does it? Is it just something you have to try?
1: It's actually not. And that might surprise some people listening because we do hear all the time, you know, schools are tightening up on budgets and schools have, you know, been just as hard. High- hard hit with sort of energy crisis and things like that it might surprise you to to know that actually it's like you said samantha it's the perception and it's the perception of that value so going back to that phrase when they see the value they will find the budget they often may pay you more than you you perhaps thought that they would for something where they can see that value now they're not necessarily going to see the value if they're wondering why it's cheap and they're wondering why it's cheaper than another provider they're perhaps looking at at the time. This was a really interesting conversation I had with Philippa R, mindset expert inside the Approaching Schools Academy. Now, as well as being a a mindset expert that helps people with their, their mindset around kind of communicating with head teachers and following up, she was also a senior manager in a middle school. So she has this kind of other um, side of the coin where she's been in those shoes of deciding which provider would come in and enrich her subject and she said well I'd be looking at the cheaper one and wondering what's wrong with them and actually going with I'd want the very best because I want the very best for my school and I want the very best for my students and if I'm going to buy into a service like this I want the best one that I can get so it's again it's that that Like you say, that perception, but also reprioritizing things. As if they know they're going to spend a set amount on a service, they're going to want to know it's the very best service on offer, and your pricing strategy will form a part of that perception.
0: Yeah, and it's also thinking about who do you who do you want to work with, because you know if you're trying to get into say a school getting in with that first offer is only the first step after that you've yeah. got to keep working with these people yeah. and you've got to keep negotiating and trying to get back in maybe the following academic year yeah. do you want to work with a school who's always trying to drive your price down and negotiate you lower because that can be quite stressful or a school who want to do things on the cheap so you might want to i'm not saying that's a bad thing because you might you know your kind of mission might be aligned with that but I do think it's worth also seeing it from your own perspective of what is that experience likely to be like versus a school who are willing, who actually see me as an investment and yeah. not just an expense and a box ticking exercise. Um, yes. So I think that's another angle really to consider, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you hit on something there with in terms of the investment. Schools now more than ever are looking at what their return on investment is in terms of is this something that can benefit the school In years to come, you know, if I bring this service in now, is it something that's going to like help us in years to come whereby I can confidently go back to, you know, uh, the governors or um, whether it's this is a ring fence budget that they've had to report on and say look, this has been a very viable um, use of our spend of our budget. Because it's going to benefit the school, it's going to have an impact, it's going to provide a legacy in some way. So schools are very much looking for that kind of longevity of what you provide. And I think a key word here really is sustainable. So if they feel that your service is sustainable, then that's a good use of spend on their budget.
0: Yeah. Sustainability is really important, isn't it? For, 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 again, for both parties, because this is something you're going to have to continue doing as well. And what, you know, or you're going to want to work with, but also something that I think came to mind as you were just talking was, you know, as with, as with anything you do in your business, take the time to understand culture that you're about to walk into and the position people are in because the position a teacher might be in or what they prioritize will be different to what a head teacher or a middle leader might prioritize which is very different let's say you're a tutor and you're very used to working with parents well you can't just use the same language and strategies because they're not in the same position as a teacher or they're not in the same position as a student and I think that that's something something that's sometimes overlooked I do see it where someone says right I really want to start working with this market because they kind of see it as a really good business opportunity but they don't respect the they don't respect the culture and respect the fact they need to take the time because ultimately if someone approaches any of us with zero understanding then you might as well be cold calling I remember I had a job where I had to pick up the phone call random numbers and try and sell double glazing you can imagine the abuse I got yeah because I hadn't taken the time to even find out whether they needed double glazing and in the same kind of way you want people to know that you they want to feel seen and heard a little bit that you've made the effort to do a bit of research about the school and that you understand the position they're in
1: yeah, this is my whole thing as well about kind of presenting an, an issue. It's, it's creating that understanding. It's like, I understand you're really busy, or I understand your children are really struggling with this at the moment. This is a way that we can help. Um, it's It's that kind of Empathy point of view, and you just reminded me of something. When I used to live in a um, a two bed apartment, and um, we had the the mailboxes um, down um, at the bottom in the lobby, and we always had these envelopes stuffed through the the letter boxes pretty much every month. And I didn't even need to open the envelope to know what it was about, and to know that it wasn't for me, and it wasn't for anyone else that lived in that block of apartments either. Because on the envelope, in nice bold coloured writing, it said. Um, how we can um, help you with your conservatory. yeah and of course nobody in that block of apartments or indeed on that entire site had or could have, A conservatory on their balcony. And it's so untargeted, isn't it? Um, you know, whereas people sometimes have a worry that what if I'm going to contact schools and they don't want what I have to offer, or it is going to be seen as just a a blanket email, or they're not, they're not really I'm not really going to be hitting the mark personally. And I say, Well, you've you've done a lot of the hard work in the first place because What you're doing by nature is already targeted. You are already a a provider that provides something of of benefit to educational establishments. So you're already targeting the right people. But like you say, um, it's now about looking at the people within that setting. And what's really going to get them realising that you're the person to solve their problems? Um, And who is that person that you would ideally have as your intended recipient? And that's how you can make sure you're not selling them something they don't need.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that really circles back to what we were talking about earlier of you know, what if you're not feeling very confident in schools wanting what you offer? Well, you work backwards from the problem that you want to solve or the problem that they're facing. And, you know, really, if you don't solve a problem, you don't have a business. That's kind of the definition of every single business. You have to solve a problem for someone. And, you know, I think that people find sales, especially people with education backgrounds, find sales quite uncomfortable. But, I think the thing to remember is none of us like to be sold in a cold sold to in a cold way but we're happy to buy into yeah. something that solves a problem for us so it doesn't feel like yes. someone's selling to us it feels like no no I'm willing to spend the money because this is an investment for me yes. you're solving a problem for me and so then they're yeah. happy to say okay what are the next steps what do you offer how can I pay for this um so actually yes. taking the time to understand is so crucial. Otherwise, it's almost insulting. It almost feels insulting to the recipient where they're already really busy and they're yeah. like, why are you wasting my time? Why did I read this email? Um, yeah, yeah really, it was a really interesting discussion because I think it applies to so many different things. It's not just selling to schools. No. It's marketing. It's, it's actually anything that you offer in your business. You have to yeah. understand what problem does it solve and what position are my target audience in yeah. So that I can make something work for them. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if you said, right, I'm running a whole day workshop for teachers, that's yeah. never going to fly because teachers are not going to come off timetable for a whole day. Yeah. If, it, if it can be an hour or 45 minutes during an inset day, you yeah. know, that's a lot more manageable, but you have to understand that structure, um, which is particularly important for people who haven't worked in schools, but want to sell to them. Yes. Yeah. Um okay right I'm yeah. going to take a little a little change of direction that was really interesting um now some people might be wondering okay well just to like double up on this, how can I be more visible to schools so that I attract them? But I know that you, you know, from having a chat with you, you actually advise people to, unless they're extremely established, to actually sell to schools directly in the first instance, rather than attraction marketing. Because I think attraction, you know, having people come to you sounds really ideal. But when you're working with establishments, I think it's really, really different because it's difficult to kind of get on their radar. And and I don't mean in terms of schools radar. I mean, in terms of decision makers radar in that situation. So if we're saying that, okay, the the first step and the most crucial step is to contact them directly and follow up. I know you're really hot on following up and you really (laughs) tell people don't feel like you're pestering people. You need to follow up. These people are busy. Um, How can you boost your chances of getting a response?
1: Yeah. So, um, I I really like what you said there about uh remembering that when you are contacting an establishment, the marketing processes usually would need to be different because unless you've got a big name for yourself, unless you've got you know fantastic SEO, and um um you've got to remember that schools aren't really coming to find you because they don't know that you exist. And they are busy people and they're not always going to be you know out there looking for you and coming to find you um so it's one of those things where where your attraction marketing works really well to attract new students into your out of school services um, and to you know make parents aware of what you do when you're working with these educational establishments You've got head teachers that are probably not even on social media as much, or I have a lot of head teacher friends who hide on social media under disguised names and and things like that. So it's it's about remembering that if we can go to them in the first instance, get them working with us we can talk about the fact that we are then working with them on social media um, and and eventually start attracting more business to us. But that's very much a waiting game. It's, you know, when we've got, maybe we've got a social media page and it's predominantly parents following us. Yes, perhaps some of them might be connected with a school, but a lot of them might not be. Are they actually going to, you know, are we, Making the best possible use of our time. If actually we've not got the following that we need to get in front of those sorts of people, so if you're looking to boost your chances of getting a response by going directly to them, um, there's some things that we need to do and some things that we need to not do. And you mentioned follow up, um, Samantha, as well. Um, there is this tendency to feel like, well, I've contacted a school, I've given them an amazing offer. If they want it back to me, if they if they don't get back me they obviously don't want it or they're too busy right now and um, I'm just going to give up and do something else but the the follow-up is a way that you can really boost your chances of getting a response and there's different ways that you can follow up so it's not simply it's not simply about asking um the school if you know if they got your email But it's about thinking about the reasons why this person that you really want to contact within a school would want to respond to you. What have you kind of given them as an incentive to respond to you? And is it that you're actually only available to deliver this this offer to a certain number of schools within a certain time frame, And is that the reason you're following up, for example? Is there actually gonna be a number of different schools in the area benefiting from your offer? Um, and you're gonna be in the area, is that your reason to be following up? Um, is it because there's a certain event that's happening in education or an event that's being celebrated at that time of year that you can be willing to bet a school would probably benefit from having a service like yours in to help them either study that topic. And, you know, again, that's time sensitive. So there's different things around that that you can explore in terms of the follow up that goes far beyond simply asking them if they got your communication or asking if they want the offer Um, but also you want to make sure that you've given your communication the best chance possible of getting to the person you want to speak to so um, you know has it landed in spam are there there things that you can do to make sure that you give yourself the best chance of avoiding spam Um, you know you mentioned links earlier like not having too many links in your email not having too many pictures not having videos not having um actually too much some surprising things like not having um, too many colors or too many fonts and things like that. Actually, when you, (laughs) I remember saying to one of my clients recently, when you work with me your marketing is going to get a bit more boring (laughs) because they had this, these really, these HTML templates and these really pretty banners and all this sort of pink coloring. And, and when they forwarded it to me and it ended up in my junk folder, All I could see was a pink banner with no writing on it and lots of white boxes. And I said, imagine now a school receiving this with a really high firewall. And all they've seen is these white boxes. They're not wanting to click your links or find your your little link to to display it properly. They've opened it up in plain text, most probably anyway, because a lot of school servers will default to that um, for protection reasons and before you know it they've got distracted and 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 you know had to deal with something within the school or they they're answering all their hundreds of other emails that they got that day um and you've missed that opportunity or it's landed in spam and they haven't seen it in the first place so I actually say to people one thing you can do to boost your chance of response is make your email look as personalized as possible make it black and white plain text um and actually that's more likely to even before you know as well as it's going to be more likely to get in the inbox box. It's also going to be more likely to forward it, be forwarded on to the the your kind of key decision maker because it looks more like a personal email. It doesn't look like mass generic marketing that teachers are quite ad blind and savvy to at the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've given so much value in that answer, actually. And a few things that um, I wanted to just touch on was something you said about, you know, you make their marketing more boring. Well, Actually, when you're sending any kind of email, when you're writing any kind of social media post, having an understanding of how people read and digest information fast is really important. So multiple fonts is a no-no, even if you're giving a presentation, for example, or whatever it might be. But also having lots of white space, having really short paragraphs, using really simple language. You don't need loads of jargon in there because people, especially when you're approaching a school and people are busy... They need to be able to scan it, digest it, know what to do quick, quickly. Um, And something you said about how, you know, contacting schools directly, it kind of means that you're staying in control of the results. You know, you were saying about how if you look at attraction marketing, it's often a waiting game. And I quite like that because... What you said earlier about how when you first got a school, you asked them how much they wanted to pay. It's a really good lessons learned, bit lesson learned because actually we are still the expert in this situation who is and the school is our client. And so we yeah. need to be in control and stay in control of that conversation and of that dynamic. Because don't forget, you are working often with middle leaders or even senior leaders who are used yeah. to being kind of, you know, the people who say what, you know, says how things are going to go. So from day one, you almost need to create a dynamic where they respect that right now you're not wearing your head teacher hat right now. You're my client and you're paying me because I'm the expert in this. And I know from experience what the best way to go about this is. And just those little things actually, you know, actually sets your stall up from day one, because if you create a dynamic where someone where your client thinks they can dictate to you, it's very hard to change. So establishing it from day one, I think, is probably quite important. Um, and one more thing you said was that that made me think of something. So when I was working in my last school, I was the IT coordinator, so it was a whole school responsibility, and I was making decisions that I was then presenting to SLT. And I remember I was in a situation where we needed a new learning management system, so it was a very focused search. You know, I was googling it, I was speaking to different providers. That's fine. But having since, you know, run my own business and being more aware of all the automation and solutions that are out there, people could have contacted me. And what they could have done is highlighted a problem I didn't actually acknowledge existed because I was I was still a teacher. I was a busy teacher. Yeah. I was a deputy head of department and I had this whole school uh, response ahead uh, of year. Sorry. And I had this whole school responsibility. I didn't have yeah. time to think. And to think, how can we make our operations even better? What would have been great if someone had done the thinking for me, contacted me, and said, "Do you think this would be useful?" And yes. I would have been like, "Yes, actually, I do." So, when you think of it, of the from the other person's point of view, you can contact these schools with confidence because they want to hear from you. You need, yes. and it, it sort of goes back to exactly. what you were saying that you've really got to believe in what you offer. Because that belief and that confidence really comes through. And I just think of all the ways I could have actually done my job better. I could have improved the outcomes for the school if people had contacted me with these emails that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, because it's like you say, it takes that thought process out of it. Oh, I was thinking I needed this, but actually this person saying this can help me. Why don't I try that? Without you, like you mentioned the time, you know, teachers are time poor. And, you know, what I know one of the biggest frustrations of some of my teacher friends is when they're they're looking for a resource or a service or something that can help them. And they're having to spend hours trawling through reviews and things like that to come to a decision on what's going to be the best quality, because there's a huge quality range out there so if they've immediately got someone coming to them and saying you know this solves a problem to have you thought about trying it this way and you're that person reading it and you have that problem you're going to immediately feel understood and go oh yes I've got time to speak to you now what I didn't have time for was to go away and look at all the different ways I could solve this problem
0: yeah and as someone who's been on the other other side of that as, as the person who's been demoed too I yes. think something that's also extremely important is that you don't just say, here's my offer and I'm going to walk in. I don't know if this is something you teach, Keris, but I know this is something that would have really helped me or made it more appealing to me, is to have an in-between conversation, a little bridge, where you just take the time to find out how they're working and how they're currently doing things. Because I remember the demos that went really, really well were actually not very long. They didn't need to be because they absolutely targeted. They took the time to understand what our problems were, like specific problems. And they took the time to actually tailor their demo to meet that. And that's when SLT were really impressed and everything. But other times I could just tell that they were giving a demo, the same demo they give everybody and you know, SLT would politely excuse them. And I was the one stuck with listening to the rest of the demo because I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> so, you know, as someone who's been on the on the receiving end of this process, as well as that initial email, try and really open up that conversation because people want to feel seen and heard. And normally with schools, when they're looking for solutions, they're kind of on their knees with it already. They're already like, yeah. I'm desperate for a solution and I don't have any more time to throw at this. Please tell me yeah. you're making this easy for me. And So if you can be that person who comes in and says, don't worry, I've got this under control. All I need is 20 minutes of your time. Yeah. Then I'm going to feel relief before I've even seen your demo. So you've already had an impact on me, a positive impact on me. So I'm walking into that demo with a really positive mindset and I'm probably going to go and work with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that, you know, um, a lot of that is um, really important to think about. Doing that throughout your marketing process and not leaving it until the sales conversation at the end. So it's that kind of um, consistent approach to okay, this is this is me. This is what I do. This is the problem that I can help you solve. Here's a demonstration of how I would solve that problem within your school. But the more that you can iron out any potential objections with that initial marketing phase. It's going to be much easier by the time you get into a sales conversation with that person. Because like you say, you've already found out from them what they need. You've demonstrated how you can help with that thing. And now it's simply a place, a case of, okay, how would you help me on a long-term basis and how much does it cost? you know, yeah. and it takes out all of that kind of objection handling of well, why are you the right person to do it for me? Why would I do it with you? when I could maybe do it myself and all of that. You've almost handled those objections before you've got to the selling stage. And then the sales becomes the next logical step.
0: Yeah. And try and understand also some historical information if you can. I mean, I remember I was when I was looking for an LMS for the whole school, one of the things we had to really bear in mind was this was kind of our last chance to get it right because my what had happened historically was that they had chosen an LMS that was rubbish you know teachers were really frustrated with it so actually the first job was selling the solution to the teachers before we even said this is how we're going to use it and so if you can understand that all the history and the context of what situation yeah. that school are in you can work with that and i remember the solution the providers we went with were the people who wanted to work with that. And they said, you know, we can actually do a bit of a demo or we can train you to do a demo in a way that we know is going to make teachers' lives easier so you can get that immediate buy-in. So I think it's just understanding, not just this is the problem a school is facing, it's understanding the context. How are people on the ground feeling about it? Are they going to be up for, you know, encouraging this? Because if you've got teachers who feed back to the head or feed back to middle leader saying, that was amazing please can we get that person back next year that's probably your best they're going to do the selling for you aren't they
1: yeah absolutely and the teachers are always going to be your biggest influencers from you know you want to get the teachers on the side if you've had teachers in on your your demo you want to make sure those teachers either give you feedback or come into the meeting with you because they are going to be your your greatest cheerleaders if they're they're the ones that that need this the end users that benefit from it
0: Absolutely. Well, look, thank you, Karis. That's been such an interesting conversation. Actually, it's it's been interesting because not only have you given lots of ideas for people who want to sell to schools or, or are selling to schools, but I think a lot of what we've discussed applies to so many different scenarios. It's You don't have to be selling to schools to understand that you need to really understand the position of the people you're selling to, for example, or you want to solve problems rather than just cold make cold sales. So that was really, really valuable. Thank you so much, Karis. And I'm really looking forward um, to seeing your next challenge. I'll definitely be pointing my clients in that direction, the people who want to sell to schools. Karis, where can people find out more about you?
1: yeah so you can come find me at dot uh download my my free guide or take part in my free quiz on that website or you can come and find me um in my free group on facebook which is the primary activity provider business club
0: wonderful thank you so much keris
1: you're welcome it's lovely to chat to you
0: What a great conversation, Keris shared so much value in this episode and I'm going to say this, one of my clients, she actually worked with Keris, that's how I heard about her in the first place and all the things that Keris talks about works. Now, because she shared so much, if you are someone who is trying to sell to schools or you're about to start selling to schools, then I just want to circle back to just some of the really key things that she said so that you walk away with some actionable steps. One of the things she said was that the best way is to contact schools with an initial email offering some kind of demo now, I remember in her challenge, she was, she said that, look, I'm not devaluing your offer. I'm not saying offer it for free, but what I'm saying is you need to demonstrate the impact you can make because that is going to be your biggest selling point. She also said about making sure that you follow up. A lot of people feel like they're pestering, but actually that follow up process is so important because if you're being a teacher you know how busy things get and how you intend to do things but it just escapes you so those follow-ups are actually really really valuable she also mentioned something extremely useful about making sure that you don't land in someone's spam folder especially with schools where they've got quite tight security she basically said keep your email really functional make sure that you are addressing a problem and come in there with your offer and to give them one way to contact you. Ideally, just ask them to reply to the email. She said avoid links, avoid trying to make the email pretty because all of those things might trigger their firewall. It might end up in spam. She obviously shared so much more value than what I've just talked about, but they're just a few highlights. So I hope you found that useful and you'll be hearing from me next week. Would you like to take this discussion further? perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas on tailoring your business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.